Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Contemplating Christian, and today we are talking about uh, transposition. And this is a, a speech slash essay by Zeus Lewis. All right, and it's specifically on tongues and the phenomena of the the gifts and the spiritual realities that come to the lower realities. And this was given by C.S. Lewis on the celebration of Pentecost. All right. And so he kind of gets into this topic of tongues and how it's kind of odd and in some, some ways embarrassing and how from the outside perspective, it might seem weird. And uh, it's definitely a stumbling block for some people as in people struggle with this. And so in this essay of transposition, he gives us a way to think about these higher realities. Mm-hmm. All right. And so transposition or transposing is simply uh, taking one thing and kind of in a way translating it. So for example, taking one sheet music for an instrument and transposing it or making it work for another instrument. So, yeah. Right. And uh, for the Christian, we should recognize with C.S. Lewis, he kind of talks about the strangeness of speaking in tongues. And as Christians, we should be struck by that. And the uh, strangeness of from the outside, what it must look like um, for outsiders to see something like speaking in tongues, like at Pentecost. And of course, in Acts 2, uh, the Christians are accused of being drunk with new wine and things like that. And so this essay starts with the idea that spiritual realities are make no sense uh, from the outside to people who aren't acquainted with them. And Christians mm-hmm. need to be able to make those make sense to people, one, and recognize that those things are strange. And so just to be warned that this essay is somewhat difficult. Uh, of all the C.S. Lewis essays that I've read or anything that I've read from C.S. Lewis, this is probably the hardest thing I've ever read from him. It is pretty technical stuff. Um, it's short, but it's really, really dense and full of good stuff. So we'd recommend you do read it, but read it slowly yeah. and thoughtfully. And uh, don't be upset if there's things you don't understand because it's yeah. pretty good. And he he says he's not an expert, but sometimes he sounds like an expert, right? And the first point we get in here is that uh, when it comes to apocalyptic language or uh, charismatic gifts or mysticism or mystical experiences, he says that there are so many different things that can happen. It has to come down in a very limited number of ways. So there's only a certain amount of things we can do or experience or even sense in our lives that this higher reality has to choose from. So it has to choose between our senses. So like uh, smelling or seeing something. So seeing something would be a vision or uh, writing something or even speaking. And so in this case, it's speaking. So if we kind of think about it that way, it's not that out there. If there is some spiritual reality that is trying to manifest itself into the physical reality, tongues or some type of language isn't too weird. Right. Yeah. And another um, another thing that just in the whole structure and narrative of the Bible that makes tongues make sense is this idea of the reversal of the Tower of Babel. So in early in Genesis 11, we have uh, the Tower of Babel where God confuses the language of mankind and basically creates disunity among the peoples because of their prideful rebellion. And then later in Acts 2, and it was as prophesied by the prophet Joel, in the Old mm. Testament. But in Acts 2, we have basically a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where we have the unification of the church and people coming into the church from different mm. tongues and tribes 
through uh, language, through speech. Mm. And so that kind of makes tongues less weird to somebody who's kind of familiar with the whole structure of the Bible and why God would have something like this be a thing yeah. uh, and be such a powerful force in the church for uh, at least in Acts. So that's a neat thing to think about as well. Yeah. And the reason why this seems kind of weird or out there from the outside perspective is because materialists, they may not act like this and they may not live their life like this, but we believe that their worldview constrains to this, which is a one-to-one -one correlation of things. So for example, um, lust and love, they have the exact same process or effect in the brain. So we would just equate the two, right? And we'd make them the same thing. Uh, and this may work for some stuff, but you would eventually get to some kind of absurd idea. And C.S. Lewis actually points this out with uh, art and aesthetics. Sometimes aesthetics makes you feel joy. Sometimes it makes you feel anguish. And so you get all these different things. And so at some point you would uh, most likely have to equate something like joy and anguish, which is absurd. We wouldn't normally do something like that. We know they're different. So it's not always a one-to-one -one correlation with everything, right? Um, the, the Yeah, our range or options of things that happen don't have to be one-to-one. -one. Right, and so he's getting at this idea of different sensations can sometimes be brought about by the exact same thing. Mm. And so if you have this uh, uh, materialistic mindset that reduces everything down to just a part of the whole, um, so take example like, when Christians partake in the Lord's Supper, they mm -hmm. believe that they are entering into a deep um, spiritual reality that's that's bigger than themselves. It's bigger than just eating and drinking. Whereas yeah. the materialist or the atheist looks at what the Christians are doing and basically just says they're all eating and drinking and thinking something's going on. Yeah. Um, so that's this idea of if you have a one-to-one -one correlation, uh, that's what C.S. Lewis calls it. If you have a one-to-one -one correlation in your worldview like that, then there's no allowance for deeper realities, deeper truths to these physical acts. Mm -hmm. So in the same way with the sexual act, we have a one-to-one -one correlation between in the brain, what is just lust and love. They're kind of just the same thing. They're both just an evolutionary byproduct that caused your ancestor to survive. So you might think that there's something deeper to your experience of love for your wife, but in reality, it's nothing much different than what animals feel in, in, in the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty disenchanting view of the world. Yeah. And so this is, this actually brings up a mystery of reality and that's some things can have two extremes, right? So we see this with um, Jesus and his sacrifice, which is he has a humiliation and exaltation. His sacrifice is uh, sweet and bitter at the same time. All right. Mm -hmm. Medicine is sweet and bitter at the same time. Sometimes it's, it's healthy for us and can help us, but sometimes it sucks to take. Um, and then also we have this in the physical realm, which is like the sun. The sun has a highest and lowest point. We don't know why things are structured this way, but we run into those instances. Sometimes one thing can have two completely different extremes at different times, and we have no idea why, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's one thing we kind of have to have to figure out. And so we get into this idea of we have fewer outlets than experiences, okay? And so... We can, we can make a number of analogies to help with this. Mm -hmm. And it brings up this idea of perspective, as in we give something more than one value, okay? So one of the analogies is with language. So when we're translating one language to another language, 
one alphabet might be bigger than another alphabet, or there might be more words in one language than in the other. That means we would have to make letters sometimes have multiple sounds. Words have multiple meanings, and it has to work like that. Mm -hmm. All right. So right, yeah. There's this. Uh, so it's getting at this idea of transposition, and he uses another example. One is language or the alphabet, and another, an easy way to think about it, is drawing. So the um, we all have to make these attempts when we draw something. When you try to make a three dimensional object mm -hmm. on a two D piece of paper, this is getting at what C.S. Lewis means when he says transposition is that we're having this difficult task of um, having to try to communicate a 3d object or reality onto a two-dimensional reality and it's sort of crude it doesn't fully capture the 3d reality perfectly it does so in some way and we're able to grasp it a little bit but it doesn't fully capture it and so that's that's what he's getting at with transposition or transposing between spiritual realities and physical realities yeah and sometimes uh like an acute angle represents a right angle. All right, so it looks like a right angle, but actually isn't. It's an acute angle. So we we have that idea of perspective right there. And that brings up a couple of things. First thing is in a drawing, the lower medium is always known through the higher medium. Um, and so he says, if I drew a person on that two-dimensional page and tried to point out to them that he was living in a two-dimensional world, it wouldn't work. He wouldn't understand. Only the person in the higher reality knows that that person in the lower reality um, is in that lower reality. And the only way to do that would be if that person in the higher reality somehow brought that person in the lower reality up, elevated them in some way. And so one of the best ways to think about this, and my favorite analogy of all of them, is actually the author analogy. So God is the author. We're part of the story. We don't. We wouldn't know that unless he one wrote us in as characters with the ability to know that, and if he wrote experiences uh, of that higher reality going into the lower reality, and if he like wrote himself in as a character, which is what happens with Jesus, then we would be able to know something of the sort. Something we might not know everything about that higher reality, but we know that there's something more. Right, yeah. and that. That author analogy is really good, and it it communicates, um, it helps communicate many truths of the Christian faith really well. Think of the relationship between something like God's mm. sovereignty and man's responsibility, things like that. Um, yeah. That's helped by the analogy of the author. God is the author, and us as uh, creatures in His story. Um, so to think of is God evil because He made, um, or think about like is is Tolkien evil because he created the creature Gollum and is the creature Gollum still responsible for his evil in uh, the books or the movies, Lord of the Rings. That's an interesting question that kind of uh, helps us think about the relationship between God as the author and us as creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when it comes to this, actually, uh, C.S. Lewis points out that there is two types of relations in this. One of them is symbolism as in something here can represent something above. Right. So if I draw a picture, it represents a greater reality. Uh, so that's the first one. And we can think of things like that even in Christianity. So like communion or uh, the incarnation and stuff like that as a symbol. But then C.S. Lewis argues it has to be more than that as well. So which would be what he calls participation. And that's where Christian theologians get kind of like sensitive and start arguing about 
stuff with like communion and transubstantiation and if there's a presence and stuff like that, but you can apply it to so many different things, but there is this participation. So in a drawing, if I draw the sun, it doesn't just symbolize the sun. I, in a sense, and it kind of seems like that sun on the piece of paper is actually shining to a degree, but we all know that the sun in the greater reality shines all the more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so if you take like the Lord's Supper, for example, and we're not going to talk about this for the whole thing, but yeah, if you consider this a sacramental reality, then that is the case in which if you are partaking of the Lord's Supper, you are participating in a greater spiritual reality. That's part of what it means for something to be sacramental. It mm. is a participation in a greater spiritual truth. Uh, if you believe it is simply a symbol, mm. when in reality, I think the word sim symbol and sacramental are a lot more closely related than we might think. But when we often think of the word symbol, it just is something standing in for something else or something like that. Mm. And it's not actually a participation in a reality. And so I think that's a that's a pretty enriching way to think about um, the sacraments. But yeah. that's not a discussion on this. Yeah. And uh, a phrase from the actual um, writing transposition is it is a sign because it's more than a sign. Mm -hmm. um, it would be hard to argue for it to just be a sign if it wasn't more than that, if there wasn't right. an actual like participation. Right. Um, right. But this this also gets into another thing moving on is um, beyond this participation and stuff, C.S. Lewis brings up atheism and materialism again. And he says, uh, it, it can't be like that. Uh, this is actually what converted C.S. Lewis and kind of started to convince him of theism was uh, with reason, it can't just be atoms like firing off in the brain or something like that. Um, and in this, in this writing, he actually says it can't merely just be the twitching of our brain matter or something like that it has to be more than that. Um, mm -hmm. and so, I, I mean, I guess we can bring in the term like reductionism, but mm -hmm. he's saying we can't reduce everything just to their physical and biological agents. Right. Or yeah. And it's helpful this whole essay kind of confronts you with basically your worldview options and which um, do you want an enchanted view of the world that sees that there's more to something like love or more to something like justice than simply uh, atoms banging around? Um, mm. Do you see more of an enchanted view of the world or a disenchanted view of the world where you have to reduce everything down to something simpler? So even though it might appear to us that there's something deeper to something like love, mm -hmm. you always have to reduce that down to it's actually just an evolutionary byproduct of something, something, something that helped your ancestors to survive. It's always the same story, no matter what it is. And so yeah. there's basically an enchanted view of the world and a disenchanted view of the world. Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis is very much fed up with the materialism of his day. And that also yeah. that had grip, gripped him for most of his life. Yeah. And um, before. We're, we're about to make a like kind of like a big turn because in, in this he kind of like just starts making a completely different point because it kind of seems like he he completed this first point um but one application of this to kind of see in the real world how it would play out is with christology if we actually believe that there's something more and we do christology from above we will come to the conclusion of like hey maybe jesus actually is the son of god and maybe he is fully divine and fully man and stuff like that but in more recent times, there was something called the quest for the historical Christ. And in that, they 
just took a historical approach and they they did it from below and just reduced it to this physical historical Jesus and it reduced Jesus Christ to just a moral teacher and a guy that lived thousands of years ago and he was really wise and smart and that was it right mm-hmm. but the problem with that is obviously Jesus claims to be more than that um which is where the confliction comes here so that's one like real world application where we would see some problems or we would see um some very different results on things that matter right yeah and it this kind of just correlates with um basically just a different in a ancient mind or a medieval mind versus a modern mind and mm. a modern mind basically will say um we are obsessed with the what and the how but not the why yeah so when we're answering the question like the the questions of what something is uh what something is um how it works and why why it happens or why it's there mm-hmm. we're obsessed with the how something functions or the what it is but we basically ignore the why questions and so take something like um lightning or thunder or a mm-hmm. storm how we as science people look back on ancient people and think they're stupid for thinking that uh well, lightning and thunder happens because of the gods or because of, well, I need rain to grow my crops, things like that. Those are why or purpose explanations for things. Whereas in our modern world, we say, ah, I know why lightning happens. It's because clouds rub together. And as if that's a full explanation for why it happens, as if that shuts down any other explanation. And so in our modern world, we're obsessed with these reductionistic explanations and we think that we've solved everything yeah and uh c.s lewis actually has a problem with that and other works too so like um the space trilogy he constantly points out how people way back then were doing the exact same thing people are doing now with our technology we tried to harness the lightning right Mm -hmm. but back then they had magic to try and harness the lightning they also in their stories they had like thor what did he he controlled the lightning he harnessed the lightning with his with this power and that's what people were trying to do then that's what people are trying to do now mm-hmm. all right so it's it's kind of the same situation that we find ourselves in so we really aren't just better than people way back then all right we can't mm-hmm. just say they're crazy old kooks or something like that uh so yeah and then from from here he gets into the idea of heaven he says these spiritual realities are communicated to us through language and a couple things happen. One, some people just take it at face value and say, okay, yeah, streets of gold, all this. They they, they just like believe it 100%. Yeah, like they're going to be actual streets of gold, stuff like stuff like that. Um, but he says that's good in a sense because it's like a childlike faith, but also it's bad because um, we don't want to be deceived about what heaven is really like because mm-hmm. it may be a lot more than just streets of gold, right? right. Uh, so that's one thing. But then also... He brings up this idea of how we want to take these lower things, this material realm, this lower medium, and just keep all of it in heaven. Like, is there going to be drink in heaven? Is there going to be food in heaven? Is there going to be, is there going to be sex in heaven? Stuff like that. And people actually have a problem with that. They're like, no, I want that stuff to be in heaven. And C.S. Lewis's point is, well, um, like, and in other essays that we've done, so like, uh, weight of glory. We're too easily pleased. We want all that stuff, but we don't realize it's going to be a lot more than that. Hmm. Hmm. Right. Yeah. We, uh, we have lots of images for heaven and scripture. 
Um, and at the same time, we have Paul saying, uh, I think it's Paul, no eye has mm. seen, no ear has heard the glory that is prepared before us in mm. heaven. And so we we truly do not know the reality that we're going after in, in eternal life. And um, reducing it down to just the material uh, images that we get or descriptions of heaven, like eating and mm. drinking, that are things that we're familiar with in this world. Yes, it would be a little simplistic to think that's all that there will be. Yeah. And you would run into problems because um, there might not be that. That's what he says. There might not be that stuff. And he says there's going to be a lot more. So he he asks us to kind of imagine, would there be some type of new sense or a flooding of the senses if we were actually taken to that higher spiritual reality? So if we ourselves were transposed to that higher reality, would we be satisfied? Some people wouldn't. Some people would. Um, and we have to realize that that higher reality is better, right? And it gets to the notion of God is what satisfies. Mm -hmm. um, everything here on this earth is not what satisfies. Okay. Right. Yeah. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I like, I think, um, getting more at this issue of, of transposition and how he talks about the skeptic, um, basically the skeptic's conclusion. So I want to read this section. Yeah. He says, and the skeptic's conclusion that the so-called spiritual is really just derived from the natural, that it's a mirage or projection or imaginary extension of the natural is also exactly what we should expect. For as we have seen, this is the mistake that an observer who knows only the lower medium would be bound to make in every case of transposition. The brutal man can never, never can by analysis find anything but lust in love. The flatlander can never find anything but flat shapes in a picture. Physiology never can find anything in thought except twitchings of the gray matter. As you mentioned that already. It mm. is no good browbeating. This is important. It's no good mm. browbeating the critic who approaches a transposition from below. On the evidence available to him, his conclusion is the only one possible. Yeah. And I think that's a, a wonderful quote that kind of summarizes a lot of what he's getting at. Yeah, it is. It is. And with, with this transposition, if we are a flatlander and we're finally taken out and extracted from the drawing and we actually see the drawing, something in our, in our brain will be like, oh, everything I knew wasn't as good as right now. And that brings up the allegory of the cave and Plato um, and the, the Greeks, because a lot, a lot of what they taught lines up now, not everything, but a lot does and it's useful. So the allegory of the cave was briefly these, uh, these people were put in a cave and a light was behind them, casting shadows in front of them. And that's all they knew in their life. But then one person was released and started exploring and started going outside of the cave and started realizing that there was a lot more than just these shadows. There were real things. Um, and so he goes out and learns and realizes and has, has all of this, uh, has all this new knowledge, a new perspective, right? Mm -hmm. We could even say a higher dimension because shadows were two dimensional on the cave wall. And he goes out into the, uh, greater dimension, the spiritual, uh, realm. And then when he comes back, he actually tries to communicate this to the people down there. And they actually kind of like hate him for it. Yeah. And they are opposed to it because that's all they knew. Right. Mm -hmm. So there, there is that conflict right there. But also it's a great 
allegory of kind of everything C.S. Lewis is putting forth. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only thing different in Christianity, but that means it is a beautiful picture actually of Christianity. The only difference mm-hmm. is that the sun that's shining is God and his grace yeah. in Jesus Christ. And so yeah. that is, um, and so when I go further in what C.S. Lewis talks about, he talks about how we must, uh, how everything changes and everything's different when you approach the transposition from above. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how those who spoke with tongues as St. Paul did can well understand how that holy phenomenon differed from the hysterical phenomenon of just gibberish, right? Mm-hmm. So from the outside, speaking in tongues might look like just gibberish to somebody. But St. Paul and those who did speak in tongues can recognize it's not. Yeah. Although, be it remembered, they were in a sense exactly the same phenomenon. Just as the very same sensation came to peppies in love and the enjoyment of music and in sickness. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things and is judged of none. And so when you see these transpositions from above, they actually make sense. And you can see how they're they're not just the same action. Speaking mm-hmm. in tongues and hysteria aren't actually the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. And that's a that's a good um thing to note mm-hmm. and it's a good thing to clear up and he actually ends all of this with clearing up a few miscommunications a miss uh, a few misconceptions and one uh, another one on top of that is development how he how he ends it he he says we shouldn't confuse this for development it's not like we are going to develop over millions and millions of years and then eventually we'll become this spiritual reality so like with the body and blood of Christ. It's not like over millions of years, we'll eventually start eating the body and blood of Christ or uh, spiritual things or something like that. Um, So it's not a slow development. It's a reality right now that's being transposed. So um, we are, we would have to be against development and that suddenly gives everything a new meaning. Mm -hmm. Right. So like right now um, the spiritual plane quote unquote, Mm -hmm. is actually playing in a different key. And we are playing in a simpler key in the physical realm. Mm -hmm. And we're not aware that there's another key. And so when we see that other key, we don't understand it at all. And so that's similar to the, um, for the musicians out there, a helpful analogy again, to kind of get the point across. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, that's one clarification. Then another one is actually with um, the incarnation. And how we should think of it. Uh, is it Jesus becoming man or is it man being swallowed up into the divine? And he says um, the lower is is brought up. The lower is made high, higher. So Jesus did not become a man, right, and stop being God. He enveloped all of humanity. So he was fully human um, and brought it up kind of to his level um, to take over it all. And so that's a that's a tiny kind of, formality with language but it matters and that's that's actually the stuff early christianity argued about just like tiny little words that made all the difference uh Mm -hmm. when it comes to how we relate to these spiritual realities right he he assumed a human nature so he took humanity onto himself while still Mm -hmm. remaining god and the Mm -hmm. analogy that the church loved to use in the ancient church was this idea of an iron and a fire So this idea of you put an iron into a burning fire and you let it sit there, it takes on the properties of the fire, but it doesn't cease to be an iron still. And so it's both. 
And so yeah. this is kind of an earthly way of describing how a spiritual reality and a physical reality meet in God yeah. and man. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's earthly analogies that can make sense of it a little bit. Yeah. But not, uh, not perfectly and fully. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the last thing is resurrection. He kind of gets into that. Uh, can there be an experience? A sense is not accompanied by, or, um, will we have a, a new sense a flooding of the sense? How to, how exactly is this resurrection in the end going to work? Hmm. That's his final point. And that's what kind of gives us hope. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't have much to say there right now. Yeah, that's okay. But I mean, that's, that's where he ends it. So we, we don't have to have uh, a ton to say on that. He, he poses some questions at the end and, and leaves us with this idea that there's a lot more to it. We can't know everything. Uh, and we, and we can hope about a lot of it, uh, Mm -hmm. but we shouldn't reduce it to nothing. Right. So as Christians, we can, uh, yes, we can hope that there are great, great things that await us that we don't fully understand yet. Um, and we can see that in so many other things from this article or this essay of transposition, Mm -hmm. things that are these great realities that you only get a small picture of when you're a 2d figure. And so we on this earth are in a sense, stick figures awaiting a 3d reality that we don't understand. And from our perspective, we don't see them. Uh, we only get glimpses of them. And so it's kind of the whole point of the essay. Um, and it's just, yeah, brilliant. Really cool. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. But uh, that's that's all we got. We'd really appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe, like, and if you feel led, support us uh, on Patreon. Everything is in the description or on our website. When the link to that is in the description, we would uh, we would love your support. But thank you. See you later. God bless.